Welcome to Talking In Stations. I am Matt Errol from Imperium News, and uh, today we have a full show. It's mostly going to be about uh, the war in the South, but also economic reports, because uh, those things are super important. And uh, we have a full list of guys, so let's uh, go down the list here, um, starting with our guys on video. Uh, let's start with uh, Jin Tan. Yeah, my name is Yin Tan. Uh, I'm here today. Where are you from? CBA? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm a member of CBA. Uh, I've been participating in the Winter War, and I'm also a member of the CSM. That's right, CSM. And we also have Lock Fox, a financial expert. Hey, thanks for having me on. So in, off camera, we're going to have um, Asher Elias, who's FC for Goonswarm. Yeah, you pretty much nailed all my credentials. <laughs> I'm really good at this. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, welcome to the show, Asher. Thanks for getting up. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, we also have Celine from Mercenary Coalition. Good afternoon. Hey, Celine. Welcome to the show. And also from Imperium News and Test Alliance is uh, Thal Ankora. What's up, guys? A uh, member of Test. Good to be here today. I'm excited for the fight later. All right, great. So we have a diversity of points of view, um, which will be great. First, we'll talk about a little bit of news. Uh, and then we're going to uh, talk about the war in more detail. And then after that, we'll have a look at um, the economics. And uh, if we can, we'll talk about Horde and what they're doing in uh, HiSec as well. One thing before you go into that. Have you ever yeah, thought sure. about having a uh, boxing announcer matter on? Because you seem really good at telling people where they're from and what they've done. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually, I want to say, this show has kind of changed format a little bit. Welcome, everybody. Um, we uh, have a producer, McLeod, who's behind the scenes now doing all the technical work, which is amazing and it helps a lot. I guess I'm overexcited at talking now because I can do that without having to concentrate on that. So we're really happy to have McLeod uh, doing that for us. He was the guy that does the after show. Today there won't be an after show. It's just going to be the show. Maybe we'll go a little long. But yeah, so this is a, it's going to be new. We're going to stumble a little bit as, as we get our footing. And as you can also see from from on camera is a whole new layout and a whole new logo and a whole new branding. Uh, this is something that a lot of Imperium shows will start to, not this necessarily design, but um, a lot of shows will start to have different looks now as we start to unify the way the whole place looks. So thanks guys for showing up. Uh, let's talk about uh, EVE Online. is the uh, this week in Eve is something that gets uh, put on uh, the forums for um, Eve online and that has a list of uh, things that are uh, going on that the company's doing that's put out by CCP Phantom and we're always grateful uh, that he does that it's also showing up on the client if I'm not mistaken oh, and does it get pinged it doesn't get pinged but it shows up on the client when you log in uh, and stuff so yeah that's some good stuff there, and I know that people don't listen to sound in Eve, ha ha ha, um, but I do, and I love the music, and there's a new song out, uh, which is a terrific, terrific song. It actually goes back to the kind of stuff they were making um, two years ago, I think, which is, uh, check that out. Yeah, and so later today after the show in uh, Game News is a huge fight 
um, in VTAC3. Uh, we'll hear more about that and uh, what's going into that. But uh, apparently there are skirmishes all over the south of the map um, as this war kind of gets uh, kicked off. And um, yeah, let's just jump right into that because we have uh, a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. And first, Jen, why don't you tell us what you've been up to with these videos and how they've been going over and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, what I've been doing is I've just been trying to help keep everyone informed uh, on what's been going on in the South, kind of just going over the kind of political intricacies, why it's going down, where people are, and what at the end of the day they do. What, what inspired you to make these videos, by the way? We'll have a look at it in just a second. That's actually a very funny thing. Um, basically, one of the more senior members of my alliance, someone involved in like uh, diplomacy and leadership, basically mm -hmm. just asked if I was going to make another one of my little alliance updates, which are kind of political updates that I give the alliance a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about what we're doing, why we're doing it. Um, and I was kind of confused as to why, as I assumed that he should probably know it. And uh, it turned out he kind of didn't. And I asked around and pretty much no one kind of had the same understanding of what was going on as I did. And I thought, I bet this would make a good video. So I just did it and worked pretty well. People seemed to like it. So, so I'm like, hey, I, I know stuff. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it, sometimes? That's weird. Let me ask Celine, uh, is that what it's like to be a super veteran? To Do you forget all the stuff you didn't know? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's times when uh, people come up and will, you know, talk about stuff that happened years ago that, you know, you forgot about or whatnot. But um, as a segue to what Jintan was talking about with his video, it's I think it's fairly common that there's assumptions made from people who are heavily involved in current events as to what, like, you know, you know, normal players who aren't like online 23-7 and but what he did was actually really extraordinary because it reached out into a lot of places, you know, outside of, you know, just maybe what was his intended audience, because uh, there's people in my alliance and a lot of other places that watch those things and were like, ah, OK, this is actually what what's going on. And uh, I just wanted to tell him thank you and uh, that he did a great job on those. And I hope he keeps doing them. I'm going to. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Well, it's been a good response for you, right? Yeah, yeah, about 10 times more views than I normally get on a video and a hell of a lot more positive comments on it. So I'm super, super happy. I'm, you know, I'm glad I found a little niche I can work myself into. Well, why don't you tell us what's, what's, um, so these videos are instructional and we'll get a look at one in a few minutes, but why don't you tell us what's going on? Effectively, what we're seeing is we're seeing an echo of World War B going on in the South. We're seeing some mean, of the primary. You mean the casino war, right? Just... Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to spin. I'm just taking the generally community accepted name. No, you're spinning if you're using World War B, but it's okay. What could I, what else can I call it? The invasion of fucking it tribute. It kind of was. I'm just going to call it Tour Tribute War 2016. Spring fling. I'm, I'm joking because we've, lately we've had such dialogue about the naming of wars and stuff like that. But go ahead. Can I call it just PL kidding. Spring? <laughs> PL Spring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's just um, uh, it, it's effectively it's the main belligerent parties of World War B sans the super capital forces of PL, NC, and I guess to some degree the um, mob goons that um, 
court had to enforce their laws. Um, it's basically, it, yeah, it's the same kind of people doing the same kind of fighting, just with slightly different mechanics, because obviously the Rock Wars had a huge uh, impact on how um, software is done now, because it's made it a lot more um, single, uh, single point focused. You're aiming to try and win at one specific point. However, there still is a lot, especially in smaller timers, of like incredibly fast-paced small gang warfare. In fact, uh, this is like something I don't think anyone would have thought uh, would be the case, you know, pre-Aegisov. But the biggest advantage defenders have right now is that they get to use um, interceptors to kill enemy intosis as they do not have to intosis themselves. That's literally the biggest advantage of a defender in a smaller, non-heavily contested timer. Hmm. Well, um, one of the FCs that's participating in this is uh, Asher Elias. Uh, let me bring him in here. What's going on, Asher? Are you leading this campaign? Um, no, we, we don't really have like a campaign leader like some other groups do hmm. uh, in Goonswarm. We're we sort of more consensus-based, and then uh, you know, a team carries out the, uh, you know, the, what, what we decide. Oh, I see. But you are involved in this uh, conflict, right? I am indeed. And you guys, um, politically, you're supporting Stainwagon, who supported you uh, during the war in the north, and now it's on their territory, and you guys are backing them up, basically. Yeah, um, Stainwagon are historically our allies, so uh, uh, it only made sense to their own with them, especially because they did come and help us uh, during World War B, or Casino War, or whatever we're calling it. <laughs> um, <laughs> There is a timer today. Um, I think it's been probably overhyped. It's for the it's for the Sov in um, in their staging system, um, but they don't they don't live in the Sov. They just have a Fortizar they live in, and the Fortizar is uh, is a secure. It's not reinforced. So um, uh, I think I think the uh, circle of test guys are probably hyping it a lot for their dudes, but I don't I don't. Uh, think it's, it's also uh, the station. You realize that, right? I realize it's the station. They live in a Fortizar. They still have tons of assets in that station, well, and I know they take the dog shit from it constantly. I've been watching them like evac that station all day. It's been great. Oh, yeah, so I don't think the station <laughs> really is like the insurance because I mean you can do everything out of a Fortizar now. They have contracts and stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, that all hurt people a little bit because Test uh, tends to play a lot of Hurricanes, which if you die in them, give you really good insurance. But, um, I mean, it's not that big a deal. I don't know how many assets we have in the station. No. To Dale from uh, Test. Um, Celine, are you guys involved in this one? Very much so. Moved down last weekend. We were here for the initial eight or nine hour tie-dye fest and uh, still setting up this weekend and we'll be there this afternoon so mercenary coalition were you guys hired as mercenaries or are you down here to support uh, allies what's your relationship to it no we're down here on contract uh, we wouldn't be down here if we weren't getting paid we just it's and it's you know one of the one of the kind of fun ironies is that you know this you know being mercenaries and eve you know we were up in tribute not even two or three weeks ago fighting these guys and now we're down here uh, fighting alongside them. So it's, uh, you know, it's, I always tell my guys that uh, I don't really, I've, I've always enjoyed 
playing what outside of what I call the hamster wheel of Eve and, you know, doing what we do is definitely, uh, you see a lot of changing environments and you get to fly with enemies one week, you know, and the next week you're doing something else. So this is, this is really kind of interesting to see how, uh, you know, the people that we were fighting against, not even, you know, a few weeks ago, um, how they're organizing and how they're talking to each other and everything else. And it's, it looks, it's been a lot of fun this first week. That's not just something that's been limited to the mercenary coalition either. No, it, the, the people have been bouncing all over the place for the last few months. It's been quite, yeah. it's been quite something else. And we saw NC dot um, supporting um, the CO test. They, they also don't have a name for their coalition. That's why I call them the real deal coalition. Because they have not officially named it, and I'm like, I still haven't figured out. You mean the fourth quadrant? Circle. I'm not yeah, using Salaban's name <laughs> because that's a dumb fucking reference to a book, and nah. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick look at what one of those videos looks like that Gentan has put together. Um, and. And Cerberuses, as such, yeah, let's have a look at it. We'll play it right now. Sorry about the hard stop. This is, uh, again, we're getting our footing on communicating behind the scenes while uh, the show is going on. But after this, I'll let it go for a second. As such, whilst they haven't made their targets clear, everyone is preparing as if they will be invaded. The two most likely candidates, however, are Catch and Scalding Pass. Theoretically, they could invade the Great Wildlands. But for all the good that would do, they might as well just invade Dunstable. If the Meal Deal Coalition chooses to invade Catch, they will be running up against Stainwagon, which is the coalition with the longest history as a member of the South. And whilst the backbone of their coalition can be traced back to, as the name suggests, uh, Stain Russians, their various other alliances have a long pedigree and history with Catch and the other southern regions, with familiar names from the old southern coalition of AAA, Coven, and Legion de Molter making up their ranks with new additions such as Volition Cult and Afterlife, and approximately 1 billion renters who are unlikely to pick up arms to defend their masters. Stainwagon is able to use the centrality of catch to control a disproportionate amount of space for their size, as the shortened jump ranges from pre phobe measures to disrupt force projection allows them to effectively... Alright. Cool, thanks. Uh... That's an example of some of the really cool videos that uh, Shintan is doing. Is it Yintan? It is, right? Yintan, yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, and um, so, yeah, let's go on about this conflict and uh, and what was going on. Uh, what is the... Um, so what, tell us about this fight that's going to happen in about an hour or two. Well, whilst um, uh, it, the actual impact of that fight might be debated it is something that's super super it's going to be very very telling of the power of the stain swarm coalition as if it falls that really does represent the fact that it's not just fortazars it's not just single point conflicts where stain swarm doesn't have an advantage um it's also going to be some aspects of um fozzy sov you know some distributed conflicts um have you know having been fallen by the wayside in terms of their ability to dominate them you know and that's say, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i mean 
I think one of the interesting things about what's going on right now in terms of narrative is that we just finished fighting for over two months up in tribute and so did test and so co2 and you know a lot of other random entities as well and i think that you know earlier this year you know world war b whatever was you know the first time the age of solve was actually like really used but then i don't think people really got um an idea of what the back and forth of it could be like on a large scale until more recently and we saw a lot of what can happen you know like when an ihub falls or whenever an ihub stays up but then a station falls or then you know when you know because there's three different you know the, the tcus don't really matter so much as the ihubs or even the stations and you can have fortazars and you can have astro houses and everything else is your staging points but um you know different alliances react in different ways because there's a lot of people that still don't really practically understand what um any of these things mean they say oh shit we lost our station now what ah you know they don't realize you could you could have all your shit in the fortazar and it'd be fine and um i think that experience does play a factor whenever it comes to fighting a conflict of this type and it's and and people are still learning as to you know the best the best uh, strategies uh how to use on offense and defense so it's 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 a learning experience for a lot of people and it's actually quite fun that little experience actually, it's actually something I want to kind of come in on. We've actually seen like the tactics used develop really like very fluidly as towards a more and more degenerate style of playing, just as we saw within Dominion Soft, to kind of make it so that you can't contest certain things. People are using, you know, panic raw calls, people are using forks and tosises, people are, you know, using claw fleets as their primary defensive tool it's 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 created such a weird game almost gamed system uh but fortunately it's perfect for third parties because you just have all these people just warping around no fleets and you can just frag them and run away it's great <laughs> there's lots of like variation and um the way that you can like approach entosis i know um mc back in world war b or the casino war they use their entosis oracles uh and then um, Tess has their X-Wing uh, Doctrine. I think Goons, uh, I don't know if Sword Fleet's still the name for it, but they have a Claw Doctrine. Um, and then some people have been using Prophecies, Rapiers. There's just a lot of different ways to do it uh, in Tosis. Yeah, you see all kinds of things. Uh, and, and as I said, I think that a lot of it's still experimental. I mean, some people will sit there and swear that, like, you know, 100, you know, like, like, oversized uh rapiers are the best thing to use other people will say no prophecies other people will say no just use this or that and defensively you see all you know you see several different variations of that as well so i don't really think that anybody's found a foolproof way to do this because even when you start throwing like cap you know you can throw a rorqual on it or you can throw a carrier on it you can do whatever but there's a counter to all these things whenever you've got something sitting on a node and you have to sit there and circle it you know then you've got an opportunity to defend it so uh, there's always typically like maybe one big fight around a major timer and you might see a couple of big fleets bashing away each other, but all along the edges and all the surrounding systems, it, there's, there's skirmishes going on everywhere. And it's, uh, and a lot of people really talk down on Aegisov. Um, I find it to be actually a breath of fresh air compared to just the plus oneing of super caps against, you know, the grinding of hit points. Hey, endorsement. That's good. And uh, Lockfox brings up a good point. Uh, I'll make it for him. 
and Jin can answer. Um, the alphas are the new on the landscape, and we're wondering if they play a role or don't play a role because they seem to have uh, Lock Fox. They seem to have a role as far as statistics are concerned. Yeah, all of the since Ascension, we've seen really big pushes thanks to alphas in like the total PvP stats. But uh, I wasn't sure if they're on the front lines or not. Yeah, well, from what I've witnessed, they've not been particularly important to the actual on the gra- boots on the ground kind of large scale warfare. Because in large scale warfare, what you see is you see people who I generally refer to as ping warriors logging in to fight these big timers. And alphas just aren't as interested in spending 10 hours fighting on a gigantic, you know, tie dice lugfest. That's not what they particularly came to the game for. And also, they just don't have a super great place. I think Goonswarm is probably the area where they've been utilized the best, and that's only in single point, you know, concentrations of force. For example, the Fortizar timers and F4R2 had a supporting frigate fleet from uh, the Imperium, which was predominantly made up of alphas. But beyond that, the only real usage I've seen from them has actually been as T1 logistics, where they're basically serving as gigantic piloted large shield extenders for real logistic ships um, um i think nobody else has really been able to like capture <clears throat> the huge uh, like blobs of e-war that brave used to have where you saw 250 newbies just and they would be able to shut down fleets um because of all the e-war now i think uh, like you said goon swarm is probably the one that's captured that best but nobody really has done it the same and with the way every how decentralized everything is, it's kind of hard for um, alphas to really make a huge impact. Um, uh, Asher, are you guys actually using is Karma Fleet full of? Uh, well, you wouldn't be able to know, would you, if you're full of alphas? We definitely have some alphas. I don't. I don't think we've actually changed our recruitment policy particularly to no, target alphas. But you know, there's no uh, doctrines for them, kind of. Oh no, we have a yeah. full set of doctrines for every race. Um, and we're, we're we take alphas on basically every fleet. Basically, the only fleet an alpha can't go on is um is like a bomber fleet. Um, mm-hmm. but every other fleet we take alphas on, and we have. I mean, they're always in my in my fleets now. So, uh, we've got a lot of them, but I don't know any exact numbers. But uh, we just recruit them in the same way we would normally recruit you know any other player. So there's nothing deliberate that you would know about uh, as far as their impact. Well, I mean, uh, our E-War frigate fleets are, are pretty strong. So for the, uh, you know, for these big timers, we're putting, you know, um, like three full fleets out plus about 150 E-War frigates. So, um, you know, those are, those are pretty good numbers. Um, and I think the alphas definitely are contributing a lot to the, uh, E-War frigate fleets. They're a lot bigger than they used to be. To give you an idea, like previously those fleets would be about 50 to 70. So. You're talking mm-hmm. about maybe about 100, 100 active people that would, probably wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Celine, you wanted to talk about alphas in general. We can skirt the issue now. Just I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, we'll give it another five minutes. Is there something specific? Uh, no, I was just going to say it's. Um, I think that the role of alphas is just kind of interesting because different alliances are approaching it in different ways. Uh, I, I saw, I can't remember if it was in the Twitch chat, someone mentioned that, you know, they're just basically flying large shield extenders, um, which, <laughs> which is kind of terrible, but maybe that's the way some people choose to use them. I think that the E-War Frigate Swarm is definitely a cool idea. Um, but, you know, not every alliance is using them, you know, in tandem. Like, uh, we have an entirely separate 
uh, academy. We have a we have mercenary academy, and we don't include those guys in any of our like mainline stuff. They're off doing their own thing, uh, doing classes, doing smaller ops, doing things, just kind of like learning how to play the game and how to you know keep uh, you know maybe stay interested in the game as well. And uh, the comment you made earlier with regard to how I think it was you or maybe it was Jintan who said about how they're not really into the big, huge tie-dye fest and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think we have some of our guys show up for the Keepstar op up in Tribute. But for the most part, they tend to kind of keep to themselves. And I think that it, you definitely have to have a bit of seasoning in EVE and understand what the stakes are before you lock yourself into a chair for several hours of tie-dye. Um, but the alpha thing, I think, has been a really, really good thing for EVE overall. And I'd, uh, I'm, I'm don't really think there's been a lot of attention put on exactly what is going on with the various alliances and even how they're using them. And I think that'd be an interesting topic for some other discussion someday. Yeah, we'll have you back for that one. I, I'm interested in that too. Um, they've, you know, they're, I think in about a month or two, uh, we'll know even more about how it's shaking out because this is the real, the first real big uh, military action since they've been around. Uh, so it'd be interesting to check that out. Yeah, so uh, again, uh, after the show is uh, going to be a big battle. It uh, could be pivotal. Uh, and uh, did we already cover that? Do you want to talk about that? What's what's going to happen today in in a few hours? Uh, in a few hours? Well, we're going to have the VTAC 3 solve. Uh, so T is it TCU or is it? One sec, let me no, well, we said it was station. station something. That's right. important. That's yeah, important because it's a. The, that, why is that battle important? Why don't you tell us why it's important? Uh, VTAC 3 is the staging of the Soviet Union uh, against all authorities and volition cult, who are the three main number-bringing alliances within um, within the Steinwagen Coalition. They also do have Coven and uh, Afterlife, who provide you know decent numbers, but they are staged elsewhere. So if they lose their station, what they're losing is they're losing a centralized point at which they all know they have assets. And whilst they have been able to uh, evacuate a lot of their assets from VTAC 3, they have not been able to evacuate all of them. And they probably never will, just due to the fact that it's been used for so long. This is something that has you know happened many, many times in, in history. Um, what was that station that got dead zoned of Solus? It was like Arteco or something. Yeah, C3PO uh, or something like that. Yeah, that was the first one, and there was a second one from Nelly Saguna that got dead zoned in um, uh, not Impasse, but anyway, a southern region there. That solar one always interests me, and I, I'm I was really kind of waiting to see what would happen mm -hmm. uh, after Phoebe came in because that then there was no way that. Um, PL or NC could defend it anymore, mm -hmm. and um, they didn't try to take it back, yeah, at all. So I, I I am led to believe by that that were there untold trillions of, of treasure stuck in that station, they would have they made take the, it back. eventually. Like yeah, after like five or six months when they were already in the region, but it wasn't like they specifically went for that station. So if there was like actually a lot of a lot of stuff in there, um they would have gone and, you know, specifically took that station back to get their stuff out, but they never did. They yeah, just was, got it when they took the region. That was a cool little story because um, uh, PL and NC 
we're kind of saying like, okay, Solar, you know, if you just go to LowSec, we we won't uh, do anything to you. And then they signaled, okay, we're going to go to LowSec. And then PL and NC totally turned it, turned it on them and said, dead zone, dead zone. And all of a sudden their tune changed. And I thought that was a real like kind of a betrayal of trust because they're kind of saying like, okay, you prisoners can walk. And then they said, okay, we're going to walk. And then they got attacked. And I thought that was pretty crap. But they did dead zone the place, locked these untold billions in there. And then it turns out months and months later, this little band of pirates comes and liberates it. Uh, and I talked to Solar at the time. Uh, Adara Rain was their uh, diplomat at the time. And she was saying that, uh, yeah, there's not really much in there. Like, so there was only three people with the keys to that. So who let the stuff out or was it never in there to begin with? That's still a mystery. Well, they did have jump freighters in there that they and jump clones in there, so a lot of it did get evacuated. But mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of more the almost the symbolism. But, but of we're it. talking of dozens and dozens of jump freighters worth of stuff that was supposed to like not. And then they eventually uh, retake that station. Yeah, so yeah. They eventually like kind of rolled into it, but there was no special effort taken to get that particular station back. Anyway, for VTAC three. Most of the same line guys moved in there last week, so it, it really can't be that, you know, what you, overloaded. What are you talking about? Most of the same line guys didn't live in VTAC 3. They deployed there last week. Yeah, but Soviet Union, which is one of the biggest alliances in Steinwagen, has lived there for about six months. Yeah, yeah. SU's got to take it, but everyone else who is there, because, you know, there's a lot more than the Soviet Union there now, probably has two or three or whatever whatever they brought into it yeah the, uh, yeah um, like the supporting entities of Stainwagon, like afterlife and coven will only have their like forward staging stuff but yeah. people like volition call a and um su do have their shit there and that's why it's important you can't fracture a coalition like that it's bad bad yeah, things you, happen if, if it gets wrapped um they're gonna have you know, two timers to move stuff the thousand kilometers to the Fortazar. But like you said, there's been a lot of, I mean, I've, I've been sitting on grid watching, you know, freighters just go back and forth, back and forth. So yeah. people are moving a lot of stuff right now into the Fortazar that's on grid with it. And one important thing to mention is that it's actually the Orthodox Christian Christmas today. So a lot of Russians <laughs> will not be able to be online as they will be spending time with their family or at church. That's interesting. I was just in uh, in VTAC three. I think you, uh, I think you've underestimated the Russian commitment to the religion of Eve Online. <laughs> I know it's just it's just a kind of cool. I I was debating calling it the Christmas battle, but <laughs> never ever ever <laughs> underestimate the Russians. No, never right. underestimate the Russians. They'll well, they'll wake up at two a.m. to stab you in your gut. <laughs> so we'll wrap up this segment with um, Stain is an unusual group in that if they do face overwhelming odds, they tend to retreat into stain itself and wait it out, right? Yeah. That's happened a lot. It's, well, yeah. How, how many cycles Never. of that have we seen? Like, oh, five, we saw... Um, Peel used like to seven, burn... Seven, eight? Peel used to burn AAA every year in the spring. Just like a burning of the crops from <laughs> last fall to make room for the new. All yeah, right, but then there was also when like A invaded. Prov- oh, there's tons of shit down there. The history yeah. of the South is hilarious history, and no one cares about it. Well, last question: Is this going to be a big war that everybody gets involved with, or are we looking at just the simmer, 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 and then it kind of peters out? What are we looking at? I think we're seeing the first of many fireworks tonight. This will probably be a big war for a while. It's probably up to Steinwagen. 
it, it'll it'll yeah. depend on on how much they want to commit to defending catch. Um, I, I think I think probably my guess is that they probably care more about other soft regions than catch particularly. Um, it's not like they make money in catch. You know, catch is a pretty bad region. It doesn't have However, a lot of good moons. Catch is, however, geographically central. You do need logistically it. Yeah. important. Correct. Um, hmm. But with uh, with citadels, though, I mean, you have to scour every Astra House, which is, uh, if anything, if nothing else, really annoying. Um, and they're it's so cheap to drop. Yeah. It's like old school SBU spam, except you can put as many SBUs as you want in a system, and also your SBUs have a damage cap. It makes me want to end myself. And also three timers. <sighs> Yikes. Please. Well, there's even if you manage to take them all out, they just get all their asset safety, and it doesn't really cost them that much. Yeah. Well, they need they need them. I mean, they don't necessarily need them, but it's really nice to have them in catch as like jump freighter midpoints. So you need to hold at least one or two. But um, there there are other ways around it. I think it's just more expensive to to do so. so. Clearly, some big groups are here. But is this everybody, or is this? Uh, are there other conflicts going around in other places, or is this where it's all at right now? It's everyone not in the northwest. Um, yeah, it's I mean, from like... Fountain to Tenal. Most of those guys are not involved. Those that have not moved down here recently. But um, from, you know, drone walk, I'm sorry, from uh, drone regions down to Delve, everyone, everyone there is involved pretty much in some capacity. All right. Well, it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's going to keep us warm until summer arrives. Thanks uh, for this segment, guys. We're going to move on now to a couple more segments we want to get to, the first of which is what's going on with Horde in the north. For that, we have an INN correspondent, uh, Rivra. Um, who uh, unfortunately has a cold, so she's going to sound a little strange. But are you with us, Rivra? Yeah, hey. Uh, yeah, sorry, I sound really bad today, but yes, I've got a cold. So what's going on with Horde? Well, it's uh, earlier this week, Horde uh, war decked one of the uh, the main trade hub in Perimeter, um, the one, uh, Perimeter 5, uh, the trade hub, the one with the crown in the symbol. And... Uh, they also war decked most of the other ones in the system. Um, they were joined by the culture who attacked the uh, Satoyo or war decked the Satoyo in perimeter. Um, allegedly, because uh, someone on Reddit was sarcastic to Ragnabile from the culture, so he uh, war decked them. Um, like you do. But, <laughs> yeah, right. like you do, yeah. Well, as uh, happens. My honor. <laughs> but uh, there's also, uh, Ragnar also did a statement on uh, Reddit saying that someone had hired them to take down the competition in uh, Perimeter. But as of now, Darkness have also joined uh, the, all the war decks against the Perimeter Citadels. And so have a couple of other uh, smaller groups, Spaceship Samurai uh, from Fade have also joined and a few other small guys from that region of uh, space. So it looks like at the moment, the uh, perimeter five trade hub comes down in, it goes into its, it becomes vulnerable in three days, I think, or two days now. Um, the Satoyo will be destroyed in uh, about two days as well. Um, and the other perimeter for, uh, Fortizars are also under attack. And PamFam have put up a Fortizar 
in uh, perimeter uh, under the horde banner. So it looks initially it looked like uh, it was uh, Gobbins was trying to uh, get some payment from the owner of the perimeter citadel, and they basically told him to yeah to disappear, and he said no. Um, and he's also said that he's interested in getting in on the Plex trade out of Perimeter, but there hasn't been an official thing on why uh, they are attacking all these uh, Fortizars. Nothing official, huh? No, not yet. What do you think it is? I think it's that it's it's a mix. I I think it's partially that they're bored in the north. They they're not involved in the war in the south, so it gives Horde something to do. Um, if they can get the perimeter income, it's not bad. I mean, there were numbers thrown around on Reddit this week of this saying it's 30 billion a day, and it's not 30 billion a day. It's single-digit billions. But I guess if you're Horde, then uh, it's probably not a bad income to get as a passive income. Um, I think that, yeah, extorting the Citadel owners is also a good way to get ISK because the fees are in the range of... Uh, seven to ten billion per month per citadel so it's that's kind of renter level income uh for null sec places so it's not a bad income but yeah i don't know what's uh entirely behind it yet darkness mm -hmm. and that only joined yesterday they've mm -hmm. actually war decked three or four of the corpse and so the other fade guys as well so i think it's that they haven't got anything much to uh anything much to do up in the north at the moment so it's something to pass the time well, Celine lives in high sec, so uh, right, that's where your I base do? is. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, low sec, but in the middle of a, you know, it's an island of low sec in the middle of uh, high sec. But can you see from your keep star what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, the towers aren't quite that high, but um, what I what I can say is the situation of perimeter has been developing for a while. I mean, the the main guys who horde war decked as these Taurus or Taurus's uh, dudes. And they were a, uh, I think they were one of the first ones that started throwing down the market Fortizars a while back. And they were also one of the first ones to get war decked. I think we blew up one of their first ones back in August. And then they uh, bounced back and they threw up another one and then another one. And so they got left alone and they kind of became the de facto like hub for trading plexes and such one jump out of Jita. And there's been a couple of other ones that have dropped and then moved on. And there's been a bit of a trade war going on with regard to broker fees and their taxes. And, but the people who own that particular one, the Taurus's hub are the ones who seem to be kind of in control and uh, having, you know, contracts with like, you know, the defensive mercenaries and high sec and all that stuff. And just recently there was a, the, the, during the last patch when the engineering complexes were released, there were a couple of things that happened in Perimeter, one of which was that those guys, the Torsus guys, dropped about 15 or 20 of the, of the medium-sized ones and basically made the overview in Perimeter look like complete shit, and I fucking hate going through there every day now. So I'm kind of thankful Horde is doing what they're doing because it's yeah. horrible. Clean them up. Um, yeah, and but at the same time, there was a, a Satoyu, an XL, put up there uh, for doing industry and such. And it's kind of got caught up in the whole web of everything. Now, as I said, there's there's always been like 
people come along and drop another market Fortizar and try to do a bit of market PVP. MC actually got contacted not even two or three weeks ago about getting involved in that. And I wasn't directly involved in the negotiations, but it was so convoluted and fucked up that we literally said, no, this is just, this is too much shit. Uh, we're going to do something else. And now we're doing that something else in the South. It's uh, ironically, the NullSec thing is much less complicated than the HiSec web of insanity. So I guess right. Gobbins, go ahead. I, mean, I, I think that it's really interesting that point you just made. Uh, HiSec can be very dramatic and very interesting too. It's not all about NullSec. Oh, no, it isn't. It's it's really interesting. All of the, because people, there are alt corps everywhere dropping Fortisars and dropping and, and, and dropping, you know, their structures and such. And very rarely will you see like, main you know like big name alliances doing this stuff you know out in the open which is why i find the move that horde has made to be quite interesting because what they're essentially doing is removing everything out of perimeter and setting up shops themselves so there's still one of the points that was discussed a moment ago was with regard to income and i think that's a very interesting topic because I mean, we've been running a Freeport Keepstar for about three or four months now. And I can tell you that, you know, for anybody that thinks that, you know, there's mountains of riches to be made off of administrating one of these things, uh, I think that we pay for the fuel for it, for all the different services. And there's maybe a little bit more left over, but it's more of just kind of a, a neat thing. You know, you see people come and go and um, every now and then there's a big trade. But for the most part, uh, even if you've got like these big structures up and running, these are not giant money-making opportunities right now. I know that that the, the perimeter ones are probably making, uh, I would say, like maybe old moon goo mining money from you know a couple of R64s worth every month, which is co mm -hmm. which is cool. But if you look at what it costs to set one up, like an like an extra large engineering complex, the hull is like thirty to thirty-five bill. But the rigs, just the Tech One XL rigs right now, are going from anywhere from 35 to 45 billion a rig, and you've got to slap two to three of those in it to make it, you know, operational. Uh, you know, it's a hundred billion a structure. So, yeah. how many months and months and months do you have to have one of these things running before it even comes remotely close to breaking even? The answer is it's not. So, what Horde is doing, I think, is really interesting. But in terms of doing it to actually make money. Uh, the Fortisars will probably pay themselves off pretty quickly, but anything above and beyond that, I I don't really know what the what the effort is for. It seems like they're trying to muscle into the market, but if the market's you know not that profitable, could there be a second you know motivation for this? Who is it? Um, I think Lenny uh, with the NETC. I may be wrong on this, but um, you wanted to uh, decentralize uh, basically Jita. I seem to recall he paid Mercs to uh, clear out perimeter and um, like domain citadels, uh, which is somewhat similar to what Pandemic Ward's doing now. Yeah, don't get me started on that thing. <laughs> well, his plan, <laughs> his plan with that more focused on pushing people towards the edges of high sec, so that you would have more interaction between high sec dwellers and low sec dwellers. His, yeah. his economic plan was stupid. Oh yeah, it was completely <laughs> it was... interesting. It was well, like uh, six years out of date, and uh, you know what? You know what? It makes no sense now that we have jump freighters. Uh, like it only would make sense if we didn't live in a jump freighter world. Well, I know the economists yeah. didn't really like that plan, but uh, Celine is part of that trade network, and he was endorsing it. He saw it as a good 
right? I don't want to speak I, for I, you. So if, if you no, I like the idea. Like, I like the idea of trying to do new stuff in Eve. As far as the idea of like you know attacking all of those things and whatnot, I mean, I, I kind of agree with what Lot Fox is saying mm. that you people. First of all, one of the points I made the last time that we talked about this is that it's going to take a long time for people to even really understand. And I'm talking like you know the people that are talking on this show right now. We all understand Eve at a certain level, but your average Eve player. Who's just doing, you know, be bopping along, you know, the 70, 80% of the other E players. They don't, Jita's still the center of their universe. They don't have a fucking clue what's going on, you know, two or three systems next door. So any, any giant economic plan has got to take that into consideration. It's going to be a long time before players even start to realize that there might be benefits of doing things a different way. Well, and I don't hate the current push, uh, and I can't remember the, the name of it, NTech or whatever. Um, and like, cause the idea of being, so, so if, if I were, if I were CCP lock Fox or trying to put a trillionist to work, um, I would be focusing on the fact that, uh, when you're, when you're living out on the frontiers of NullSec and such, you, uh, your, your, your choke point is the, is the freight. And so if you made, uh, freight hubs so that you could more easily get jump freighters, you could remove one or two jumps from uh, your logistics chain, uh, then that might actually be economically viable as a as a central hub. And I've said that a couple of times over. But uh, making you know people who fly jump freighters are are skittish, so uh, it, it it takes a lot of trust and a lot of uh, uh, operational integrity to actually make that come to fruition. Uh, Reva. Yeah, I would say this is a bit different from the Lenny thing. When Lenny was trying to push people out of high sec, he hired MC to attack, I believe, one of the Citadels. Then one of the other Citadel owners used the fact that Lenny had started attacking them to hire Merck's uh, VMG to go after all the other Citadels. Um, and that's been suggested. That's one of the things that Ragnar said on Reddit was that someone had hired him uh to take down some citadels and they'd also hired him to take down their own as well so that because i mean a 30 to the people we're talking about here they're outs of character traders and they're outs of uh, null set guys so a 30 billion structure replacement is nothing for them to worry about so they uh according to Ragnar, they also wanted their one taken down in order to clean out the competition and to uh, get a fresh start but with horde dropping the uh with horde dropping their own fault is art um i'm not sure whether that plan is still going ahead so mm. basically what you're saying is that this is less of a direct competition over current economic you know uh economic possibilities but more as a look into future earnings yeah and i mean with darkness and that joining now i think Darkness and the culture of war decking everyone and the other uh, spaceship samurai, etc. I think they're just piggybacking on, as Celine said, like 100 billion isk uh, kill mails, etc. I don't think Darkness have a vested interest in doing anything major in high sec with the Citadels. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that right now there is a bit of kill mail whoring going on, definitely. And in terms of why uh, the motivations of any of this, it's definitely about future speculation more than anything else because currently there's just not enough profit to justify uh doing some of this stuff unless you're just simply doing it for 
uh, you know, fun reasons because you just want to say that you did it. As a matter of fact, the guy who's losing the Satoyu in Perimeter has made a Reddit thread and he's making an event out of it, you know, making sure everybody knows that his is the first that was up and his is the first that's going to die and he's going to give away prizes and all of that stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting to see how people respond to these sort of things. And, you know, it's 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 kind of neat. Um, one quick thing I did want to say earlier when I was referencing the rigs, I just got informed that uh, extra large rigs for these things are actually now no shit up to 65 billion. Each. 40 bill for build price. It's insane. So that's a huge markup. They may, they're made for 40 billion and selling for 60. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you can't, the, 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 uh, the components and all of the, um, salvage that you need to build these it's, things. It's you need... actually getting hard to source enough salvage. We've seen. Yep. Yeah, no, people Rob... need to get off their asses and actually salvage their wrecks. I, this actually brings me a fun anecdote uh, from my from one of my fleets I've been running. Uh, I watched an entire NC dot Jackdaw fleet get bombed out of out of this plane of existence, and I went there with interceptors with salvagers, and I made so much money. My, <laughs> well, I'm glad that the forces of uh, of the economy are are uh, changing your changing your mind on on who who salvages what. Let's let's actually mentally when the. Uh... When the patch notes were released, the Goonswarm economic team bought about three trillion Iskun salvage. Yeah, you guys are underrated as far as well. Maybe you're not underrated. You guys have a great economic, uh, you know, team that scours uh, the opportunities before things even shift. Uh, speaking of economics, we should uh, move on to the last segment, which is going to talk about economics. Um, but I wanted to make one last point uh, for those of you who are kind of new to the game. There is a corporation, and I forget them now they're actually one of the largest independent corporations in eve that do nothing but salvaging uh so if you you basically you don't have to, i think you either join their corp or you just talk to them and they uh will hook you up with uh, a missioner who's destroying things it doesn't want to salvage and they kind of pair you up and you end up just salvaging over and over again so it's kind of nice to see the rise of the the scavenger class uh because this stuff's valuable now uh all right, um, let's move on to the economic report that was recently released. It's actually a monthly report from CCP. And Lockfox, you read it, and what was in it? Uh, so um, it was actually a pretty interesting month. Um, <clears throat> so we've been watching post-Ascension that the numbers are completely, like, if you if you were running a model before Ascension, you should probably throw it out uh, because everything has changed. The activity numbers have changed. The the cash numbers have changed. The the production numbers have changed. Like uh, it really feels like a new chapter in Eve. Um, the big things that stood out to me were uh, were the the cash flows continue to make give me heartburn, um, especially if you want to talk about uh, a Plex forecast. And then holy shit, the goons down in Delve are so productive. It is it had my jaw on the floor when I saw the. Uh, regional mining and production statistics, even with uh, the mining numbers screwed up thanks to uh, some CCP math, um, <laughs> they are they are far and away the most productive region in EVE. Like uh, if you put mining and production together, they're number two for production. They're ahead of both Citadel, uh, the Citadel and uh, Lone Trek as far as high sec regions, which uh, just, I can't even like I I am out of evens to can right. Demon <laughs> now produced Gita in a few months. Hey, yeah, they're, just, they're just, on just to clarify. To so. Just to clarify, they're they're being productive in a video game, not in real life, right? 
<laughs> it's an inverse relationship. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We're all neckbeards here, man. Um, so like, uh, let, let me, let me start from the top and we'll work our way down. Uh, what should be up on the screen right now is, is the Plex one year view. Uh, do we have one to go back to that had the, uh, cash flows? Should be a two line white graph. Let's assume we do. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk like it's up on the screen and, uh, when it gets there, it gets there. Yeah, because um, <laughs> there's a delay of 30 seconds, so we can't. See okay, it. okay. So um, the 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 numbers that have been at the top of my list uh, since the economic reporting started from e from CCP is the cash supply and ISK velocity numbers. Uh, and to the layman, this means that uh, so the graph on the top, the red one, is uh, total cash in wallets between both players and corporations um, over time. And that is a measure of just how much cash there is to do business with. Um, as this number goes up, the thing that keeps this in check, like the, the, the thing you should be thinking of when uh, the red line goes up is that Plex prices will go up as well because um, this means there's more cash available in the system. More players should be uh, converting that cash into Plex for storage later, that's that's sort of the corollary to expect uh, as a, as a hand-wavy sort of cartoon. Um, on the bottom, though, is the ISK velocity, which is talking about how much ISK uh, is being spent compared to how much cash there is. And that, when it's up, you should expect Plex to go down uh, because you're going to need cash to to do business with and you're going to get that cash from Plex. So what we see here is actually both going up at the same time uh, during, during December post-ascension. And uh, we see if we go look at the one-year Plex view uh, that the price of Plex has stayed level through December. Now, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, like specifically, there have been a lot of sales. So Plex has been discounted. That tends to be a downward trend. Um, and I had been saying through November and December that I expected uh, even more downward trending in January and February. But with uh, some of the other statistics that are coming out, I'm going to change my tune to say slightly positive uh, that maybe 1.1 billion in the in the in the short term, uh, because it still looks like the incomes coming out of NullSec, despite the fact that everybody's fighting in wars, incomes continue to climb. And uh, when incomes climb, those incomes get converted into Plex. That, that, is, that is one of the biggest drivers outside of the, the general RMT balance between, you know, consuming Plex to become Omegas or consuming Plex to, for RM. Like, those are steady state uh, things that tend to remain re relatively flat and we don't have data for, so I can't even, I can't put them in a model. But the cash demand and cash supply numbers are looking so in, in a way that uh, signals an upward plex trend. Hmm. So and of course, past uh, past performance, future results, uh, yeah, yeah, forecasting yeah. the weather. You know, but, but you're you're basically saying plex is going up in price. Um. Yeah, but it's That's a, what it's you're a, predicting. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a weak upward trend in my okay. in my opinion. Um. I still don't think there's. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as hot as 
we've seen in the past. I think it's going to be a low and slow. Uh, if you bring up the the 365-day Plex graph uh, that has the one-year view, uh, I think we're going to be slightly up uh, the way we were last spring, uh, essentially in slope. So it's a decent time to buy and, and hold. I don't think that we're going to spike without uh, a really hot, uh, unless things get really weird. Um, and I have a hard time forecasting more than about four weeks out on the military picture, because as much propaganda is going around, um, the general PVP stats haven't been moving. The general war stats that I track haven't really been moving with the same vigor to match the how much the drums are being beaten, right? Like, we, we love talking about NullSec wars, but I'm not seeing the uh, most of the traditional signals that we'd expect to see. And and it may just be it's, a lag thing. It's it's not enough destruction yet, you mean? Like it's not showing up in economic one reports? Of the problems is that all, of, all of the potentially involved parties are already in the war. Like there is no baseline conflict anymore. It's just people constantly fighting in these gigantic things. So the wars don't really change. They just change location. You yeah, baseline of conflict anymore because people are too focused on rent. Well, they they ramp rent up. Is I mean, the only possible the, the last battle how, right now. Asher, how big was the last battle as far as cost? Like seven hundred and fifty billion isk. That was a total, right? Okay. Yeah. Talking about uh, yeah, you asking that or you asking what it costs us to 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 SRP it? What it costs to well, yeah, you want to tell us what it costs SRP? Uh, yeah, it was about one hundred seventy billion, I think, for us. Oh. Um, that's not bad considering it was written in the papers that it cost you 600 billion. It was a 600 billion loss or something. How do those two not coordinate? Well, you're including, um, you're including, um, Russian losses, other people's losses in that total number. Um, so we don't, obviously we don't have to deal with those. And then you have, um, you have insurance payouts that we don't SRP, you know, so if your battleship already pays you, uh, you know, a hundred million, that's included in the SRP, you know, calculation. So, um, you know, so mm. it ends up being a lot less for the Alliance anyway, to actually pay than... I guess my point is it doesn't sound like it hurt you guys nearly as much as, uh, you know, uh, was on reported to have hurt you guys. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, this is a backbreaker, you know, all that kind of stuff. And obviously it's not. But um, um, actually, I'm being told that my number was too high there. But whatever, it, it was it was far less than what I guess what people thought it would be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah. Like at the end of the day, people like whining about how it was a, a, a Pyrrhic victory, which is like dumb. They don't understand the scale. Yeah, that really did bother me, like just because a Pyrrhic victory is a really like strongly defined thing. And it wasn't that, like, you know, um, a Pyrrhic victory would be something like, you know, maybe if you had a BTAC R fight, but you lost all your Titans, like, that would be a Pyrrhic victory. But I don't think there is, like, I don't think there's a, a battle in EVE anymore where, you know, if you lose regular capitals, um, I know we lost those Aeons <laughs> warping out of bubbles to, uh, E-warping out of bubbles, but uh, um, if you, you know, if you lose regular capitals, battleships, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard for that to be a backbreaker for an alliance that has, you know, soft set up and, and ways to replace them. Yeah. 
Well, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, you know Delve's productivity and uh, your war machine, basically how, how how much you guys can build and stuff in just a second. But I want to go back to the uh, Plex question uh, with Rivra. Um, different economists have different ideas of when Plex is going to bottom out and start going up. You just heard Lockfox saying that it's going to be a soft recovery going up in price, so it might be a good time to buy. He's not making a he's not saying that, but um, that's kind of what. Uh, the uh, his analysis is not saying go buy, but he's saying that might be what's happening. Reva, do you have the same opinion? Um, I think I, I was just going to mention about uh, the Plex prices because at the moment, as we know, most of the Plex and stuff are bought and sold out of uh, the perimeter trade hubs, and which are under uh, attack. Yeah, and the weird, I I, I think there's going to be a temporarily temporary blip in plexus because the second that it goes into the second reinforce uh the market services go offline um so all the plex that are there on sale now uh won't be available for buying and that will have an instant impact on the plex prices of course because the plex price in jita on the sell side is like 30 million above the perimeter side and on the buy side it's below a billion in jita uh so it will cause some uh yeah instability in the plex prices and then you've got the issue of people will have to move their uh all those plex and all those injectors out of perimeter um either via asset safety which will go uh to the nearest mpc station after five days or to another citadel in the system or they've got to manually ship them into JIDA or wherever they decide to sell them from. So I think these uh, citadels going uh, going to explode will uh, definitely cause some volatility in Plex in the short term and probably some very nice gank kill mails in uh, JIDA and the surrounding areas. As, as people try to evacuate their Plex and yeah. get killed. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree with Rivra in the short term. Uh, my my expectation actually uh if timelines were a little bit faster was that uh with the perimeter citadel exploding uh those those buy orders that are that are hosted there uh provided the the pressure to hold up the the price the, they are the the stopping orders that keep the prices from falling any further and what i had expected was that uh one that the numbers would have been the the income numbers were going to be lower in December, so that I was wrong on that. Two, that uh, the perimeter station would be reinforced faster, and I was wrong on that. Um, and that once those fell out, we'd see we'd see a price blip, much a much stronger price blip than than uh, than where we are going to see. So if you want to be a market warrior, I'd be watching uh, on the you know forty eight hour period during the fighting reinforcement. Uh, losing section but uh for the longer trends i think that we're going to see pressure come up off the floor so that even if the floor drops off there's enough uh momentum to keep the prices uh above 1 billion where they are now yeah um did you have more on your presentation i kind of interrupted you oh yeah sure so um the the war stuff actually is a decent um a decent segue onto the next section in that. Uh, so for, for the prosper show, I like to watch some of the secondary markets as indicators of where things are going. Um, just watching PVP stats or just watching Plex stats tends to just give a 
global picture more than a, a local operational one. And uh, so things I like to look for are blips in the strontium supply and uh, blips on bombers and interceptors and interdictors uh, because uh, big losses or big buy-ins uh, for big moves either way tend to show up there. Um, also popular metas like your pirate battleships and your uh, VNIs and all, all those other uh, frontline equipment tends to move a little bit, but it's a little noisier. Um, and so there's two things screwing that up is one, uh, the constant war, uh, as, as Jin was uh, uh, talking about uh, just before, and two, the productivity of Delve removes a variable from removes removes an input from the system uh if if goons are going to work to be self-sufficient and not have that economic uh activity measured through the traditional market interfaces do it all privately um it makes it really hard <laughs> as a uh neutral third party to come in and say oh well there's this this big operation going on now that's not to say that uh, it's impossible. Uh, there are, you know, uh, if, any organization, if the top, the top might be uh, very well organized and the middle might be pretty well organized, but you still have low level grunts that are doing whatever they're going to do and they're independent and you still have the people they're fighting who run a completely different organization who should uh, still be participating at some level. So like it's, it's impossible to be a complete island but it definitely screws up my statistics for tracking this stuff to to tell the general uh eve eve uh know nothing about uh uh what's going on when when the signals don't come through the data so what hmm. you're saying is that we're seeing a shadow economy start to develop that the goon swarm economic cabal can control yeah well, People do you, have, do you worry land. that that's going to be able to be used to push people around? Do you think that that might we might end up with you know effectively economic warfare becoming a real thing in Eve Online? Because that um, sounds so, sound. Uh, uh, that's a really complicated question. <laughs> question for another show. Uh, well, we're gonna... I can I can give it I can give it a few minutes if you if if you'll if you'll grant me. Sure, yeah, but uh, make it quick because we're fifteen minutes over. Or... Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right, but go ahead. So it was it was more to the point that um, so where they may be able to run independently for their own operations and set their own uh, economy, basically set their own currency in house is the sort of thing think I would I would approach this as is that uh, goon losses are not going to be counted in the same uh, metrics as everybody else's losses. Uh, if you're building it all, if you're maintaining it all, if, if you are your own economic engine, well, who gives a shit what ISK, what the ISK war is anymore, because you're not measuring an ISK anymore. You're measuring in economic output and you're measuring in mining output and hours put in, like you're, you're thinking in a completely different internal currency is the way I would I think, think of like it. A communistic way of thinking about it. Yeah, uh, and I don't. I'm. I don't have contacts high in the goon org, so I don't know. You know, this is just me blathering, uh, making it up as I go along. This is the way I would approach it if I were in charge. Um, so controlling externally from that is a more difficult thing to do uh, because either you need to stockpile uh, and cartel things, which some things can be cartelled, some things can't, or you need to be prepared to eat 
enormous economic losses for the sake of laws as you push out uh, economic uh, output as a service, as a as a warfare front, and just eat the profits, which I know spreadsheet warriors are really have a hard time doing. So we may see that that if you can move on to your fiat currency and you can say, oh no, 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 we're not, we're not talking in ISK, we're talking in goon bucks. Uh, and you're still making goon bucks at the end of the day, you still have the the internal clout to do what you want to do. So I don't care if I sold my tritanium for zero, uh, because I can I, I can be self-sufficient on the internals entirely. Okay, then we have a problem. But I think there's a lot of steps between there's still some more steps that they that they have to go through to get there, and I would be looking at carteling first instead of uh, specifically just destroying the global market. Um, all right, um, I'm gonna cut you off. Is that the end of the presentation? Or did you have more numbers you wanted no, to show? No, that's that should that all should right. be that should be fine. Because I did want to ask. I mean, we have uh, Asher here. Um, how much money does uh, the Imperium have? <laughs> it's uh, like I don't. How many legions does Rome guy. have? Yeah, you uh, just... I am not, I'm not a finance guy. I know you we just... have a lot of uh, resources, but I don't think we actually keep a lot of cash on hand. Right, right. I know you. I've, I, uh, I've heard from that what too. I know you guys have about two and a half trillion isk in liquid, um, and you've got around like a couple of fit, like fifteen, sixteen trillion more than that invested, and even more than that in assets. That seems totally reasonable, but I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, I literally, I've never even looked. Yeah, you just uh, turn in the SRP bill and say, "Here, fix it." Yeah, these. yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of totally. Uh, you're in the, yeah, you're in the demand part of the equation, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I I create the need for the money to exist. You demand, they give you money, and then they supply exactly. it. It's really easy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, Rivera. You didn't answer the question earlier. Is is Plex going up? Should I buy? Uh, should I buy my Plex now? I I'm going to defer to Lockfox. The the small print on the Plex is yeah way too long. It's longer than the Apple terms and conditions, and yeah the value of Plex may go up as well as down. So I tend to stay out of that market. <laughs> yeah, you you owe me commission if it goes up, and I don't pay you anything if it goes down. Pretty much, yeah. That sounds real world. You know, one of the reasons I joined Eve was because I heard it had this great economy uh, that this economist, this professional economist monitored. And uh, that was one of the real attractors uh, to the game for me. So it would be neat to see that get more complicated, more complex. But I'm with um, Celine. I would love to see those uh, Astro houses around Jita. I would like to see their names change because you have the little spade in the name. And it's just like, God, didn't we get away from casinos why do i look everything i see is like casinos. it's not the name it's so much it's just that they're so damn many of them i mean there's there's three levels and instead of you know putting like you know 15 or 20 of the little ones you know spend a bit of money and put a couple of the bigger ones up jesus christ it's cancer <laughs> yeah and, and I'm, all, I'm all for more stuff just being destroyed like i i'm all for burn down everything because uh consumption drives the economy man well, and that seems to be a strategy, I think, in this in this war. At least it's been talked about by me and others. That hey, if if uh, if you guys want to fight against Stain and Goon Swarm and burn yourselves out, you don't have the income potential that's been been established now in Delve. Like they can recuperate their money a lot quicker than any of the people who, you know, uh, are recipients of that casino money that happened in the north. So maybe this is 
the way that the Imperium burns that money out of the system. Uh, is that like, am I thinking in terms of, um, well, know, I, I think that might be part of it. Uh, I also would, would point a couple of fingers towards, uh, converting out of the resource curse where, uh, Two or three years ago, we talked about OTEC and and the stranglehold that uh, that was causing, and and the sort of economic uh, catastrophes that were being driven f- for great profit between OTEC and faction warfare, uh, uh, exploiting and and all these other all these other little things that have amassed enormous amounts of cash in uh, old guard goon hands. Um, and converting that into a new income stream while the rest of everyone else still is two or three steps behind thinking, oh, we need money moons, except nobody's using tech too. So who gives a shit about owning a money moon when uh, the actual demand for the material continues to slip and uh, it's just not great money when instead you could be, you know, putting that economic engine to work, putting those thousands of of, uh, puppies to work uh making in making the, the next mines. big thing what was yeah. that uh, putting them to work in the coal mines yeah I, was, yeah a lot of economics is lost opportunities like where does your money do best not uh, necessarily it might go slow if you invest in plex it might go slow if you invest in uh, pi materials or if you invest in minerals that may be something that sweeps up and in large enough amounts and i was told by Aerith that if you're not in it for a trillion you're not really doing anything um, you know, in large enough amounts, that makes a big difference. That's where you can actually make some yeah, money. Yeah, and, and and the economic and the 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 goon economic engine is more about systems than it is about individual investments, right? Like, um, I know that when you when you talked about Mina and uh, Aerith and and the the, the big wigs, right? Like, they're absolutely thinking that. But as an organization, to put your you know ten thousand uh, forum warriors to work. Um, it's not just about holding, you know, one thing, it's about diversifying, it's about uh, being productive, not only economically, but, uh, but uh, socially, so that you can actually get people doing work and doing things. Um, and uh, the team there, like I've always said that, that uh, when it came to top level management, Imperium has some of the smartest guys in EVE, even if uh, some of their, some of their uh, line members might be shit posters. But uh, it's, it's, they continue <laughs> to set the meta by, by doing rather than talking about it. Uh, yeah. and... Well, they're not mutually exclusive either, but probably, uh, yeah, the last last thing I want to wrap up with is, uh, if we can, talk about uh, a political development that um, Suez, who was uh, the guy uh, that was popular in Goon Swarm for a long time, moved over to form. He took his corporation, moved over to OSS for a while, then into CO2, and uh, they have actually just moved over to um, uh, Mercenary Coalition, right, Celine? Do you know anything about that? Did he sneak in, or do you know about that? I've known Suez since he sang me a song in the Nordica Hotel lobby in 2007. <laughs> um, when he let, was, let me just say, he's the guy that sings the Little Bees song on the video that people have seen. Uh, he, sung, he sang a lot of songs about yeah. a lot of different things. He's, um, he's been around for a long time. I mean, Suez and Black Omega Security are like very old corporations. He's been playing the game for a while. Um, 
held a year, year and a half ago. He was shooting at MC Towers and Syndicate. But it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. You play the game long enough and old enemies become friends and so on. And so, yeah, it's he and uh, his boys are in MC now. And there's no real weirdness about that to most of us. It's just, um, you know, we, we've got a former Razor Corp in, you know, uh, roving guns. We have uh, Anzac Alliance, who I believe was in FCON. We've got exactly. a lot. We've been we've been building for the last couple of years, and we're not really particular on where people come from or what their uh, you know what their past affiliations are, because we're looking forward and we're looking to build something that is um, you know about right now. And I've is uh, MC getting yeah. too big? Yeah, that is a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was really neat. Um, I don't. It depends on what your definition of too big uh, too big is. I mean, we're. I think that we're at a pretty comfortable size right now. I don't think that we're going to grow much more, but uh, you know, we can as long as we feel that we can make an impact. Then that's kind of where we want to be. I don't think you're ever going to see us have like thirty or forty corporations and or anything like that. We're pretty. I mean, we've been recruiting about one corp every you know three or four months, and that's probably not going to last much longer. We're just we're just going to go with what we got. Well, the problem with growing too big is that you're allowing bad corporations to come in. But Anzac's a good corporation, and I think the one from Razor, uh, I didn't look. But well, I think, I think that's an there. interesting judgment. I mean, it depends on what you think is a bad corporation or not. I mean, we've, I mean, we haven't. Uh, I don't think we've done. We've about the only thing that we've done recently that was a bit really controversial was um, Mass woke up several months ago, and uh, that was Trigger and his boys from you know Old Stain Alliance back in those days. And I used to love those guys back on you know the forums and such. So we brought the, you know we uh, gave them a home, and said, hey, if you want to rebuild and you want to you know get back into the game, you know join us and do that. But uh, I mean, you know, people are going to judge, and that's fine. You know, we're happy with uh, the people we've got, and I uh, don't really know why this became a discussion about my alliance, but that's fine. <laughs> it's like the well, because with- yeah. The problem with growing is, um, I mean, like you said, you can report bad uh, corporations, but that doesn't always happen because, you know, you've met them before. But, like, there can be a lot of just, you know, cultural differences or problems between the members. And I think that's really more important than just having a deadweight corporation because a corporation that rats all day, it doesn't really hurt you. I mean, mean, they help with ADMs. They might provide drama on the forms, but they're not actively hurting you. If you have... um, some corps that you know have cultural differences and keep uh, causing tensions between your members. That's going to uh, actively hurt your alliance. Well, I, I just will say very briefly that that is the one thing that we are we are always uh, looking at is the culture part of it. If we don't think that they're going to fit in, because we're very very uh, keen on the whole uh, trying to make it about the person next to you and trying to make it about you know enjoying you know playing Eve together as you know a community and not just you know. Uh, killing spaceships all the time so we are we're very we pay a lot of attention with regard to if the people are going to fit in or not and the types of people are and that's one of the reasons why we've got a lot of very old corps in that remember what it was like from the old days yeah and that's what i meant is the problem with growing fast is that you can just recruit everybody and end up with a culture clash which hurts but you're not doing that even though you're growing it seems like you're judiciously picking corporations that fit and I'm actually very pleased to know that it's a, a very much a cultural thing because uh, I find that's the worst part of um, being in NullSec is that you'll, you're fine and then all of a sudden for NC you have uh, adversity in there and there's a huge culture clash and it kind of upsets things and then 
you know, they move on. And it happens in every alliance that I've been in. There's uh, people that come in and they're just different. They're good PVPers, so it's good on the boards, but they're not a good fit culturally. And it kind of wrecks, um, you know, whatever calmness you have in a, in a place. Good managers and good technicians are two completely different things. Yeah, and also PVPers and good posters sometimes are uh, separate. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, maybe Thel or somebody could tell us, maybe Asher, uh, what's with Vili? Is he actually Reaver might know about this? Is he leaving or? Vili is not leaving Test. She's just, um, I mean, you know, Dread is a big corp, and we had this discussion yesterday with him. There's not really much being in Dread offers you uh, that is different than being in like another corp in Test. It's not really it's not even a new brew court because some of its standards are higher um but uh Vili just uh wanted to uh you know find a smaller community uh so i believe he's starting his own corp uh seventh fleet corpse or something like that um and I, I don't know what his plans are further than that but he's starting his own corp so he's staying in test but he's going into his own little corporation and probably going to build that out a little bit because he wants a different environment or did he say why I just he doesn't yeah he said he doesn't want he doesn't enjoy large corporations because it doesn't let him have a what he feels is a conductive culture to his fca basically he wants people that he can talk to and feel like feel comfortable around he doesn't want to have to talk to half the alliance every fucking day because they're yeah they're because dreaded is the biggest corporation in uh test and so yeah you have that many people in your one of the biggest corp corporations channel. in the game did he name his new uh corporate leader stops <laughs> uh, do you think, though, um, Fel, that, that Vili is on his way out? I mean, is this some kind of a signal? No, I think um, Vili's been good uh, ever since he joined back in Wicked Creek. Uh, he's definitely committed to test. Um, I just think he wants to, you know, do better things, uh, which is a problem that we've had in test a lot. Um, I think you, guys, here to you guys can't seem to do better things? Uh, it's not really that. It's just provide a, uh, because this is a problem with tests you know back at fountain we had the culture oh we're new bros it's okay and we've been getting away from that now you know we have the culture of we need to be good at the game and i think billy wants just a tight-knit group of pilots to help him with that you know uh it's a good place for billy too because he um you know he he very much considers himself a leader and um you know when he was in Gune swarm he was one amongst many but um, now in in test, it's really him and PGL is like the top uh, the top FCs, and it's really undisputed. So uh, I think he likes it there. You know, I haven't talked to him specifically about this topic, but mm-hmm. uh, from everything you know, he said I, I think he's doing well there, and anything he enjoys it there. But he probably wasn't uh, the cultural fit exactly that he wanted. But it's in in a lot of other ways, it fits him well. Well, it it seemed like he was signaling test is good for now i'm committed to the end of this war and that tells me there's a deadline on it at a certain point he's going to reevaluate his options maybe he wants to come home to mc who knows was he an I'd mc i'd like to point out that i'm actually in a fleet fighting uh, about to fight for the vtac three timer as we record uh, okay. this how close <laughs> a is couple that? a couple of us may be jim yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> we're all just like living off broadcast <laughs> might as well live live uh blog it or whatever live, what I'm doing live right now. yeah <laughs> so you guys are all gearing up to fight in this uh fight uh v tech three it's going to be a decisive fight for a staging ground for stain i believe 
and um, good luck to all you guys. So uh, that'll wrap up the show today. I want to thank everybody that showed up from uh, Asher to uh, Yin, uh, Lock Fox, um, Rivra, Celine, and Thel uh, for my in. And I'll especially want to thank McLeod for handling all the buttons today. Really appreciate that. Um, you've seen we've had uh, over 450 viewers and that I think that number might be inflated. I'm not sure, but uh, you can see uh, this um, Twitch on Imperium uh, dot news uh, the actual front page now we have it up and um, other announcements are that we'll probably be moving to discord for our commenting section so we'll move back to discord and uh, you're going to see a lot of improvements coming up uh, both visually and uh, in the way the user interface works for imperium.news so thanks a lot for reading that and um, we appreciate the amazing progress we've seen from when we uh, closed uh, the Matani.com and merged it over to Imperium.news. It's been a skyrocketing uh, experience, both in staff internal and uh, in the numbers that we're seeing as people start coming there more natively, stuff like that. So there is no after show today, unfortunately. Um, McLeod spent all his time getting ready for this. Uh, we will resume that later on. But if you want to hang out with us in our um, Discord, we're going to be in public voices for a while. Come join us, hang out, talk to some of the guests, and uh, and we'll see you on the battlefield. Right, everybody want to say uh, goodbye? Any, any last things? Yeah, thank uh, you for having me on. Uh, Matt Roll, it was great fun. I can just say that the last time I was on the show, uh, uh, Graf was here, and there were like six other guests, then him and I took up 98% of the talking. So this time I tried not to monologue as much as I did before. But we want to hear from you. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah. It's just a big day today. Go ahead, Luck. Uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, if you like the econ stuff, uh, we're on weekly at Eve Prosper on Twitch and YouTube. You can just follow us. It's 0400 game time Thursday night uh, US. Uh, and we do we just opened a Discord and uh, come come shit post about graphs. Uh, we do lots of graph porn. Is that graph? Graphs. <laughs> oh, uh, you got me excited for a second there. <laughs> I, I don't. I think. I think I'd have to pay people to take grath porn. <laughs> He's shocked in this community. Break out the ice cream, boys! It's grath porn time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, again, Celine and uh, Reva for showing up when you had a cold. Really appreciate it. All right. That'll do it for us uh, today. We will see you next week, uh, same place, same time. Um, and don't forget, we have a Patreon, uh, Patreon slash Matural. Uh, that helps us support the podcast part of this and we really appreciate it thanks everybody for showing up we'll see you in the big battle ahead and we'll uh, see you next week on talking insatiance